You're about to listen to another inspiring message from Pastor Sam Haddon at Northside Community Church, Sydney. Thank you, guys. And great to have these guys as guests with us today. I have a saxophone in church. Thank you, guys, for filling in last minute for us. Love it. You know I love... Uh, Love a little bit of old school, don't I? It's just great. It's wonderful. Hey, uh, I was wondering, uh, when you were a teenager, what group were you in at school? Did you have a group? Some of you are like already beginning to reminisce and think about the glory days. Uh, what, what group were you in? You know, I, I went through a whole range of different groups and phases. You know, I, was, I, was in the, I was in the goody two-shoes group. I, I was the sort of kid that always wore a tie to school. My dad always made me wear a tie. None of the rest of the kids wore a tie. I copped a heap of flack about it, uh, but I wore a tie. As I got into my teenage years, uh, I went through all sorts of interesting phases. I was in kind of like the cool group. You guys been, ever been in the cool group? I was in the cool group. Well, no, as I'm starting to realize when I look back on my life, I think I was in the nerds who think they're cool group. Okay. <laughs> right? And then, uh, then I, was in, I was in a really rebellious, cutting-edge group. Uh, we were called the Rollerbladers. Oh, yeah, yeah. Not like the skaters, Rollerbladers. We had it going. I, I wish I could have brought the photo in for you. Uh, I had Rollerblades, double denim going on. I was one mean cat back in my teenage years. Then I went from that, and then there was a time in my life where it took me about uh, 30 minutes to get dressed because I used to do up... Uh, a set of army issue boots, proper military boots with pins, black jeans, sound garden t-shirt, purple hair and an earring. Hey, I know, amazing grace. I once was lost and now I'm found. I was kind of part of the emo group. For Do, do you guys relate to this? Have you been through your various phases of groups? And if you notice that when we go through these sorts of groups, there's certain clothes we wear, there's words we say, it's almost as if there are these badges that we wear that says, I'm part of the skater group or the rollerblade group or the cool nerd group. We wear these badges. And thank goodness that when we grow up, we get out of this phase in which we wear these badges that define our identity. <laughs> I know in my latter years, getting towards the late 20s, when you sort of um, get a bit more refined, I thought I was going to be entrepreneurial. And so I went and made, um, I made my own business card in Microsoft Word, you know, and I got some Avery labels from Officeworks, you know, the ones that you rip off. It was looking so professional, wasn't it? You know, perforated edges. And so I called myself Samuel Haddon, CEO of Stantorian Enterprises. Whoa, aren't you guys amazed, eh? Right? <laughs> And so I'd have my own business card. And then, I'd go to, uh, and then I'd go to these events where you become a professional badge wearer. Have you guys ever been to any of these sorts of events? Uh, they're amazing events. You get to wear badges all the time. Normally, your job title's underneath. They're called networking events. Sometimes they're such great events to be able to actually pay money to wear a badge, right, that says this is what you do. And most of the people spend the 10 minutes walking around the room looking at your badge to work out what it is that you do and whether or not you can help them and they can help you. Ever been to one of those sorts of events? We love to wear our badges. The challenge is when we get so consumed in wearing our badges that our badges start to become the basis of who we are. When we start to define ourselves by the badge, and I don't blame you because we live in a world where 
it gears us towards this definition. In the world, in the world outside of God, in the world, have you ever noticed this? That what you do equals who you are. Oh, that's Sam. He's the, he's the good accountant. He's the funky looking pastor. <laughs> well, you do equals who you are in the world. And so we can buy that narrative and we can take that on. Even worse, this narrative can, in, co- in the context of what we've been talking about with idolatry, this, this dynamic to want to build an identity other than who we really are can drive us so much that we spend time and effort and energy building this identity on something other than God, where the accountant, we're from the North Shore. Have, have you ever noticed that, have you ever noticed this at parties, have you ever caught yourself when you're at a party over the years, where you kind of try and work into the conversation what it is that you do? I'm sure you would never do this, right? But have you noticed that propensity within us that you move into a room and you try and define, well, oh, I wouldn't... I wouldn't, I wouldn't, no, I don't go out there very often. I, I live on the lower north shore of Sydney. <laughs> you guys would never do this. I'm just preaching to myself here, right? If you notice there's certain places and certain roads that we define ourselves by, have you found the ways in which you said, oh, well, back when I was working for, and insert the identity that you're trying to build your life on. We st- we're still wearing badges and that's what is badge making badge making is a form of idolatry it's all that we've been talking about idols aren't statues idols aren't things made of wood and stone idols are these things within our heart that become ultimate things and the tools to form these idols when it comes to our identity are achievement and success achievement and success become the chisel and the hammer by which we seek to form out an identity of our own we try and make a name for ourselves. Now, I'm not saying that achievement and success are a bad thing. Remember, idolatry says these things have to be good, otherwise they wouldn't become idols in our lives. So we're not these traditional conservatives saying, oh, success, bad, God, good. No, none of that. It's saying when success becomes ultimate, that's what's bad. Now, this is nothing new, by the way. There's this fascinating story in the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 11, where it says that humanity is there and they begin building a tower, the Tower of Babel, if you've heard that phrase before. And it says in verse 4 of Genesis 11, Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we can make a name for ourselves. They want to make a name for themselves. It's been happening since the beginning of humanity. Isn't it fascinating when you see, ever, ever noticed that with corporate buildings in the city, that all the executives don't sit on the ground floor? Isn't it interesting that the, 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 the higher you move in the ranks and the echelons of society is the higher that you move in the building? There's this innate drive as human beings to kind of want to represent what's happening on here on the outside in the way that we build, and we see that in the Tower of Babel. What, what they wanted to do when they said we wanted to make a name for ourselves is they really wanted acceptance they really wanted acceptance and the biblical word for this is actually righteousness or self-righteousness name making building an identity and the trouble with righteousness is that when i think of the word righteousness and i don't know about you but when i think of righteousness i often think of goody two-shoes i think of 
oh, well, you know, if they're so self-righteous, they're morally good, they're a good person, which is not what the word righteousness meant at all in the Scriptures. It's not what it means in the Scriptures. Righteousness is a relational word. Righteousness means what is it right to be right with somebody? What is it to be received, to find favour, to be welcomed? And so the opposite of righteousness is not bad or immorality. The opposite of righteousness is rejection. And you know this, you're always looking for righteousness when, when you go to a wedding. You ever found this? You get an invitation to a wedding and what's one of the first things that you look for when you go to the wedding? What is the dress code? What, what do I wear? Is it, is it cocktail? Is it formal? Is it ties on? Is it ties off? Ever done this? In fact, isn't it our recurring nightmare, or maybe it's just mine, our recurring nightmare that we move into a party and you get the dress code wrong? <laughs> Anyone had that recurring nightmare? Uh, that sense in which everyone's going to laugh at you and you push to the outside, that's the ultimate form of rejection or unrighteousness, that you're not right. Righteousness is a relational world. And so self-righteousness is what must I do, what must I achieve, who must I be in order to be acceptable before others, before God, and most of all, before myself? What must I do to be acceptable, to be on the inner? Now, uh, the way that we constantly try to do that is we constantly try to steal sources from these other things to build this identity for ourselves that makes us acceptable in front of people. That, we, that, that out, outside of God, all of life is building a soul resume. All the things that we think we have to do in order to be accepted by others, by God and ultimately ourselves. And in light of Kristen's message last week, remember Kristen said that idols play hide and seek with our hearts. Idols play hide and seek. Part of the challenge for us is we don't realize that we're doing this, that we're building this identity on something other than God. And so we have to constantly be going back and reviewing and asking the question, how am I building an identity on something other than God? And the passage that we're going to read from this morning in Colossians reminds us of the dynamic that brings us to freedom from these idols. Second, uh, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, which was actually the... Uh, 3 verse 1, which is actually the beginning of the, the passage that Kristen read to us last week. It says, Since then you've been raised with Christ, set your heart on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your, might, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. And so here's the gift of Christianity. Can you see it there? The gift of Christianity is this. The gift of Christianity is that God gives you a new name badge. He pins on you a new name badge. He who had no sin, 2 Corinthians 5, became sin so that we might become the righteousness, the acceptance, the acceptable perspective of God. That the gift of Christianity is that God gives you a new name badge, to which some of you say, well, so what? <laughs> you know, what's that supposed to mean for my life? Everything. Because if you build your life on anything other than God as the basis of your identity, can I suggest to you, whether you're a Christian or not this morning, that if you're making a name for yourself, all of life becomes an audition. All of life becomes an audition. 
kind of like, um, like the difference between dating and marriage, as I found out. You know, when you're dating, when you're dating, it's always an audition. You know, you've got to buy flowers, you've got to, you've got to impress Kristen, you've got to take her out, you've got to take her to nice places, you've got to think, is she going to like the clothes that I'm wearing? Uh, you've got to pick a nice restaurant, am I going to pay, am I not going to pay? And then when you're dating, you know, the, the nervous feeling of like, what does that text mean? Did I say it right? Did, and you agonize over three sentences worth of what I'm going to say. Does it say kind of, I love you, but without, you know, am I saying too much, too little? Is it... Anyone experience this if, it had, if they've had the blessing of dating? Like all of dating's an audition. And that's the blessing of marriage. Once you get married, like you don't have to do all of that. You can just let yourself go. <laughs> yes, Joyce, I know. <laughs> I'll hear about it in a second. Because <laughs> seriously, um, Joyce is right. Uh, marriage, is, marriage is far more beautiful. Any form of partnership, it doesn't have to be marriage. Any partnership of unconditional acceptance. That's what marriage is. Let's forget about that definition. What is marriage? Marriage is unconditional acceptance. Marriage is I'm bestowing upon you a righteousness that's acceptable. You are righteous to me. You are right for me. And so what, what the beauty of marriage is, is yeah, you can let yourself go and still be absolutely loved and accepted. But most of the time in a good marriage, you don't want to let yourself go. Because you love the other person. But the beauty of marriage is you don't audition anymore. There's no auditioning. I am who I am. And I bask in that because I am who I am with all of my flaws and with the socks on the lounge room floor and all the things I don't do right and the angry words and the things that I haven't done properly and the way that I'm just mucky underneath. But you still love me? That's the beauty of a partnership of unconditional acceptance, right? And in so doing, it moves us into, and this is so vital for you to get this morning, when you move into a relationship of unconditional acceptance, finally, and then and only then, does it give you the courage to look at your flaws in the face and not feel condemned, not feel guilty, not feel fearful, because you're totally accepted. Therein lies the gift of Christianity. The gift of Christianity says when you believe in Jesus, it's not a process of, oh, come, get rid of all the old junk in your life and start following Jesus or get rid of the fun in your life and start following Jesus. To follow Jesus is to receive his beautiful and unconditional acceptance so you can stop auditioning. <sighs> And it means you can, you can achieve success and you can do amazing things and you can be CEOs and, or you can be whatever it is that you want to be. But you don't do what you do out of the basis of auditioning for that sense of acceptance and I've finally made it. Can you see the difference? Whereas the world says what you do equals who you are, Christianity in the free gift where our life is in Christ, Christianity says who you are affects what you do. Hear the difference? And so you, when you receive that free, unconditional acceptance of Christ, it means that you have to stop auditioning in front of whoever, in front of your husband, in front of your boss, in front of your friends, in front of the romantic relationship. You, you, don't, you don't audition because it's like the only badge that I'm wearing now is Jesus, which we all get this, right? 
we understand this. I can, looking at most of you, I know this is, this is Sunday school stuff. We get this. I'm in Christ. I can't tell you how many times I've said that. The thing for me, though, is, and again, I'll preach to myself. If, if I'm in Christ, why do I constantly move into spaces of anxiety? What do I, why do I rage when someone wants to have a go at my reputation? Why do I get reactive? Why do I feel guilty? Why do I feel these over-emotions? I know in my head that I get this, and yet I still am expressing these types of over-emotion. It must say to me, surely it must stand to reason that there's, a, there's an idol beneath the surface here that I need to deal with, right? Now, how do we get rid of that? How do we deal with that? And that's been part of the promise of the last couple of weeks. How do we get rid of the idols of the heart? Kristen said it so, so well last week. They play hide-and-seek. You need to find them. And so changing, becoming the sort of person who's no longer anxious or guilty or needy or reactive and moving to the sort of person who just glides through life with a peace and a poise and a stability and a centeredness really is a function of this process that I'm going to share with you this morning. And I've said to you once before that the change that we're seeking only ever happens through work. You know, a, 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 v, a VW doesn't become a Porsche just by sitting in the garage. And in that way, a Christian doesn't begin to look more like Jesus just by sitting in church, right? You've got to do work. And that work is what I call the two-stroke engine of repenting and rejoicing. Repenting and rejoicing, repenting and rejoicing. If, if you're not a mechanic, two-stroke engine... They're really sort of great engines. You just chuck all the oil, petrol in there. It's what your lawnmower runs on if you're the sort of person in Sydney who's lucky enough to have that stuff called grass. Um, but it's um, yeah, grass of the green stuff that you get to mow. The two-stroke engine of, of repenting and rejoicing. And so in a two-stroke engine, basically it sucks in the fuel, bang, explodes, and it's just up and down, up and down, up and down. And that's how a Christian changes. The two-stroke engine of repenting and rejoicing. The first step to change is to repent. And now often too, when we hear the word repent, you know, whenever I heard repent growing up in church, you know, I came out of the Anglican church and the more conservative reform side of Christianity, I always got taught that, did you guys ever hear this, that repentance was always to, to do a 180 degree turn. Ever, anyone kind of heard that sort of phrase, that repentance was a 180 degree turn to turn away from your bad ways and into the light. That's how I always kind of viewed it. <laughs> But when you see the way that Jesus talks about repentance, Jesus never talked about repentance that way. Jesus used the Greek word metanoiete, meta meaning above, beyond, like metaphysical, and noiete meant thinking, notitia, thinking. We've talked about that, faith, faith is thinking. So Jesus, when he says repent, literally says in the English, think about your thinking. Think about your thinking. In light of the fact that unconditional acceptance is available to you, think about that. Think about that. And Paul, one of the great wrestlers of the faith in terms of the guy who had done all the great things in life, shows us a wonderful example in Philippians 3 of this process. And you can go back and read this as your homework and see the ways that Paul starts up his two-stroke engine for change. In Philippians 3, he says, if if others think they've got reasons to put confidence in the flesh, in other words, it's a biblical term for achievements. The Sam Amplified Version says, if anyone thinks that they've got reasons to put confidence in the way that they're making a name for themselves, I've got it. 
circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, I was persecuting the church, and as for righteousness based on the law, doing things right, faultless. Whoa, you know, there's pride in your work and then there's arrogance, you know. <laughs> he says, if, if, if what's, what's he doing in all of this? Keep that up there for us, Kara. What he's doing is he's systematically listed out, thought upon all of the things that he could possibly have built a name for himself on. Any of those things he is saying is worthy at the top level of building a name badge. <laughs> he's saying that, you know, I'm, I'm religiously pure, I'm culturally pure, I'm ethnically pure, I'm morally pure as far as the law. I'm, I'm, I'm in terms of causes, I'm a pure, I'm persecuting the church. And as, par, as far as my obedience before God, I'm, I'm absolutely perfect. So what he's doing, he's listing out all of the things that he could make a name for himself. That's what repenting is. Repenting is each of us taking these things and says, if, if anyone thinks that they've got a reason to make a name for themselves, here is the way that I'm going about it. This making sense? When you repent, you think through, if I'm overly emotional in this life situation, what is it about this situation that it's possible that I'm making a name for myself in this? If I'm overly emotional as a pastor about where church is at or how it's going, and I'm getting over, overly emotional about that, is it possible that I'm seeking to build my sense of identity upon the success of the church? That's what it means for me. Why do I overly react to this? Do I list out the ways in which I'm seeking to build a name for myself? Repenting is think about the thinking. And then you rejoice in all of that. So you take all of these things, you list it, and at the bottom of the stroke, here's the warning, at the bottom of the two-stroke engine, and this is why it's a two-stroke engine, you don't want to keep it there. You know, if you keep at the bottom of that, if you start listing out all of your flaws at the bottom of that, you know, you become one of those dirgy Christians that think that real Christianity is if I can just drill myself into the ground enough before God that I've lived a worthy Christian life. God doesn't want you to stay at the bottom stroke. He wants you to identify your flaws and then it's the upstroke of rejoicing. And the upstroke of rejoicing says, in light of all of my flaws, in light of all my junk, but in particular, in light of all of the things that I'm trying to build my identity upon, thank goodness that I don't have to do anything. That's how I rejoice. I go after all the things that I, I've done or am doing. Thank goodness none of that matters before God. Thank goodness none of that matters. Paul says it like this. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. What he's saying is surpassing greatness. It's the Greek word hyper-echo. He's saying, I've literally found a super thing. I've found something so brilliant, so beautiful, so beyond my own achievement that the things that I've achieved don't mean anything to me anymore because I've found this. It's the expulsive power of a new affection. Have you guys ever noticed when, if you've been up late at night or at sunrise, you're trying to catch a flight and you're in that beautiful period of dawn that as the sun rises all of the beautiful stars eventually get overwhelmed by the sun's brightness. Ever notice that? That's what Paul's talking about here. He's saying these things are good things. These are beautiful things. He's saying you should achieve things. You should. All of that is important to who we are, but these beautiful stars faded into the great sun that is Jesus Christ that is raised in my life. <laughs> 
And what's practically happened when he's looked at all of these things, what he's really doing, because he then goes on to say, I consider them all as garbage. There's a Greek word that translates there into a little swear word that I won't say this morning, but we've already been there. It's junk. It's dung. That's the closest I'll get. Right? But the Greek is raw. He says, all of this is rubbish. It's junk in comparison to Christ. Because he's saying, all of this has no bearing on my acceptance before God. And he said, the joy and the rejoicing for me happens when suddenly I transferred all of the weight that I used to have on this stuff for my sense of purpose and well-being and feeling good about myself. And I transferred that onto Jesus. He still did all that stuff. But the balance of his basis of acceptance before God was placed on what Jesus has done and not what he has done. And so this morning, what does it mean for you and I as we finish? I guess all I'm asking this morning is what is it going to take for you to stop stealing your identity from all of these other sources, which are good things? We're all doing it. If we're real enough with ourselves, there's always something that we're seeking to steal our identity and purpose from. Don't do that. But practically, this morning... There really is a choice, whether you're a Christian or not, because this is not a Christian thing, this is a thing thing. <laughs> All of us do this, whether we're Christians or not. A Christian is just a, is someone who has found the gift that takes you out of this process. If you're not a Christian this morning, you're watching in, uh, just take the message this morning and, and go back and, and layer this over the way that you see your friends working, you see your boss working, you see the world around you working. Look at how many people are seeking to make a name for themselves through the things they do. And so the gift and the choice available to you this morning is which path do you want to take? Do you want to continue to build badges for yourself? And if you're anything like me, you'll realize that whatever badge you're trying to build for yourself is probably just going to be another phase. Thank goodness I'm still not in the emo phase, for your sake <laughs> and mine. would have taken me too long to get dressed this morning. <laughs> but you can either continue to seek to build your identity on something other than God, or this morning you can receive the free gift from Jesus Christ to say, I, I give you my badge. And that's what happens at the cross. When Jesus Christ is pinned to the cross there, he who had no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. At the cross, every one of these self-made identities that we have, Sam the good pastor, <laughs> Jenny the good accountant, Bob the good sax player, I don't know, whatever it is, <laughs> right? Whatever it is that we sought to make a name for ourselves gets pinned to him and what gets pinned to us is his name badge. And particularly when one day we head to the most beautiful and the most glorious networking event. You know, the one that's like the orders are going to be off the charts. And people there are just going to be stellar. It's going to be top shelf. You know, like I'm talking level 45 of Australia Square top shelf. You know, like cool music playing, glitzy suits, golden sort of stuff. When we move that level and you go to the bouncer that's there at the door and we get, get up to the bouncer and you're feeling that nervous feeling as to whether or not you're going to make it into the networking event. Never got the right ticket and have I bought the right stuff. You're going to walk up and the bouncer's going to take one look at you and starts to pull a funny face and then that heavenly bouncer's going to look at you and say, hang on, what's your name badge say? Oh yeah, Jesus. Come in. It's on the basis of what Jesus has done not what we have done that moves us into that right place with God 
for eternity. And so to believe in him this morning is not about killing your joy or all your fun. It's just recognizing the ways in which we seek to build a name for ourselves. And we say, yeah, I get it, I get it. No, no, we don't. (laughs) We don't. Because isn't it possible as Christians, we can be just as guilty, just as frustrated, just as anxious, just as superior, just as narky, just as judgmental, right? All, All these feelings emerge from a badge somewhere in our life and Jesus wants to free us from that. You've got to watch your heart like a magpie. Take your eyes off it and it'll sting you, right? It's an Australian phrase. For the rest of the South Africans, I'll explain that to you after the service. (laughs) But these things that we seek to have, they're not bad things at all. But when they become ultimate things, they're the things that can drive us, that can rule our life. And Jesus says, I want to take these away from you. I want to place my name on you. And so as we head out this morning, I was going to do it for all of us, but I don't want to embarrass us that much because we're a church that's moved beyond name tags these days. What I want to encourage you as you head out the doors this morning, as you talk to someone and they look different and they sound different, that for the vast majority of us that we're talking to each other, all of us wear a name badge that says Jesus. And regardless of what we wear or how we talk or where we're from, it's the great leveler. All of us are part of the one family. All of us move from this place saying, I move back into a world that's so geared towards performance and perception And we walk down those sandstone steps this morning or out of our lounge rooms, wherever we're watching this, saying, thank goodness I don't have to perform anymore. Let's pray. Lord, we pray as we head to this time in which we sit in this space and silence with you, that your Holy Spirit would be beginning to reveal to us those aspects of our identity that we cling to. I need to be a good mum. I live in this area. I earn this much. My business is this size. My church is this big. My kids are this well behaved. My family's this strong. Lord Jesus, you promised that the Holy Spirit takes what is yours and makes us known to us. So it means in this moment that every single one of us in this place has an opportunity to receive from you what it is that you want to say to us. Whether they're Christian or not. You've worked beyond the bounds of our little religious walls. And so I pray that your spirit would show each of us those parts of our heart which have clamoured to its unrightful place, the place in which you deserve. So as we think upon our thinking this morning too, Lord, may we rejoice. Christianity is the only religion in the world where you work out what you're going to do when you don't have to do anything at all. May we sit in that. May we rejoice in that this morning. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Uh, we're going to take communion now, which for those who are followers of Jesus, don't have to be a member of this church, by the way, to do that. And the communion should be up the back there somewhere if you don't have one of the special cups.
an opportunity for each of us to put the name badge back on. <laughs> to say that this is my identity. This is who I am. <laughs> this is what I do. And to receive that from him now in this moment. Allow the Lord to speak to you. Most importantly, may you practice for the first three minutes this week the two-stroke engine of repenting and rejoicing, repenting and rejoicing, repenting and rejoicing. <laughs> may try it out now as we do that. Repent and rejoice, repent and rejoice, repent and rejoice. For more info and all the latest Northside news and events, visit northsidechurch.org.au or download our app today.